This is Just Winging It. We're back after quite a break. How many weeks has it been, Patrick? I lost track after four. I think it might have been eight or ten weeks. I don't know. To be honest with you, John, the last week for me has been a, a month, at least at least a month. It has been crazy in the greenhouse. There, there's been a lot of vomit and poop in your house. As I yes, we had a stomach virus mow through the family, and uh, it was just it was just awful. Like there's no other way to say. It. Anybody who's been through this knows, but it's like if if one of us gets sick, and then it's like there's this weird waiting game where everybody who's watching the person who's sick is like a concerned for them, but also like oh my god, I'm gonna have to deal with this. This is what's coming. And do you even bother? In my household, I don't even bother taking precautions to avoid getting sick from the kids or whatever. I'm like, it's just gonna happen. Yeah, I mean, we take very – so what we did – here's our precautions, John, is we blew up an air mattress and moved it into our bedroom so that Jude and I, who were the two who were not sick for most of the middle of the week, could yeah. sleep kind of separately. That's and then hilarious. Henry and Micah, the you know, the sick bed, which was three feet away from us. Usually I put the puker, know. the active puker in the in the mattress, the air mattress, because then at least – you know, because puking in a bed, man, it's the worst. Oh, it's disgusting. Like, but we had stripped kids, everything because it already happened. And your kids have happened. control now, right? Like they actually know, you know. Because like yeah. Grace, as we've talked about on this show, you know, because she throws up in the car with motion sickness, she doesn't even complain about it anymore. We just have a bucket there and she's like, give me the bucket and just pukes. And then second you know, nature. Done. Yeah. Second nature. But is that the case with your kids? Are they like comfortable enough to know when their body is going to, you know, hurl? Kind of. Well, I think we're getting there. I, ha- I have to say I was extremely impressed. And Henry knows this because I've mentioned this to him like 10 times and he keeps being like, Dad, stop talking about it. But like, I really am trying to impress on him that the fact that the first time he threw up, he knew yeah. it was happening. Yeah. And he like sat up and w- woke us up because he's been having a lot of sleeping issues lately, which I've kind of alluded to on the last episode, which was nine years ago. You know, so we've been trying to help him to get used to sleeping in his own bed again and staying down there. And it was, there were a couple of nights in a row where we were just not getting a lot of sleep again because he kind of reverted to coming down a lot. So we're like, okay, you can fall asleep in our bed and then we'll bring you back up. And uh, in the process of doing that, you know, we had fallen asleep, obviously, as well. So we were all asleep. And then he woke up knowing that he was throwing up and kind of got our attention. And then he had one little, like, a little bit of vomit came out. And then he closed his mouth. Oh, And he went to the toilet. And by that point, Mike and I were awake. And we saw him. And he gets to the toilet. And he opens it up. And just this (laughs) torrent comes out. Which, by the way, because we had pasta that night, was the color of blood. So a a baby, you know, a child, he's five, screaming and vomiting. Vomiting projectile red into a toilet at three in the morning wasn't like the greatest. What an intro to this show, huh? Me. We haven't been yeah. on for a few episodes, but I hope you know you're. We're back at it, and you're enjoying this already. Just yeah, classic, immediately just out of the gate, talking about vomit. Yeah, blood. That's red what we're here vomit. for, you know. That is. But the whole thing started with me. So we went to a wedding. Of uh, many of the stories you're probably noticing at this point are starting with, uh, you know, you weddings went to a wedding. gone bad. And of course, the talk of the town in the green household going into this wedding was, "Am I going to go back to that suit store?" Because I'm kind of assuming that there's a sign up, you know, about me saying like, "Don't don't allow this this weirdly shaped young man to come into this <laughs> this establishment." Well, you already have a suit there. I mean, do you need another one? Oh, he probably burned it. You know, I returned it when I was done with it. Oh, that's right. It was a rental. It was I a rental. About that. Yeah, I forgot right. about that. Yeah, I mean, and I'm sure just for the emotional baggage of dealing with me, you know, he probably got rid of it. So, uh, so I was like, no, I'm going to, you know, wear a sport coat. I had one that worked, so that was good. So that wasn't the problem. The problem was that we get there, and of course, again, there's just like no masks anywhere. So I'm feeling kind of anxious the whole time, just this kind of low grade. You know, we kept ours on for the service, even though we're like as vaccinated as we legally can be at this point. You know, there's a part of me that was sort of like, oh, this is just weird. And then we get to the reception and there's just no masks and there's like 200 people. 
and I could feel my like heart rate starting to kind of go up. I was like, man, I'm getting like weirdly anxious about this. And then I got this stomach thing out of nowhere. Like I got it from while you were at, at the wedding thing, while I was there and I had a full on panic attack, like just all of mask? that weird. <laughs> I probably, I probably would have felt better had I done that, but I really like, I couldn't breathe. I was getting clammy. I was starting, the room was spinning oh, man. and what I had an my awful. actual first panic attack in public at a wedding. And then it became a stomach bug for three days. So I went Did from a panic attack into barfing. No, but I would have loved that. Imagine you know. if you just did, Micah, like catch you, you fainted, and you just sort of landed. I, I kind of swooned. I threw yeah. my hair back, you know, and I, yeah, <laughs> I went. I'm oh, sorry, darling. man. Though that's that's wow. So it was what terrible. Ha- yeah, that sounds it was awful. Horrible, and and it was just uh, that panic like didn't go away the whole week because of the fact that my whole family, you know, Micah was super sick, and she you was, weren't kidding you know, about this week. Jeez, it was horrible, and it was a really big like you know I had my first appointment with a new therapist on Monday, which was nice. So we got the that kind of the timing was good. Yeah. On that. And I'm trying to be really proactive because I know after last year, especially, I'm kind of on this tightrope of like keeping tabs on my mental health. So I'm, I'm being extra proactive about it. A lot of people this in week, the same situation, you know, this, this pandemic I'm feeling that has too. just brought it all to the surface. Yeah. So this this week tested it. But, you know, we're here. The kids are good. Everybody's kind of getting back around again. We're keeping food down. We're in the middle of a festival, <laughs> which I'll probably save for another episode because uh, it's a whole other story. Because it is itself. an episode. Yeah, it yeah. is an episode. And you know what? Actually, I'm going to save that officially. I'm bookmarking this audience. The Festival of Dumplings will be its own episode. So we're going to remember that. But enough about me, John. You know, dumplings immediately um, raise the vomit part of my brain because I got food poisoning off of a uh, like when I was in high school at a restaurant where I had dumplings. And I got forever, food poisoning from a dumpling in high school too. Yeah. In Chinatown, New York City. The, to this day, though, and I had dysentery in Nepal. <laughs> Worse than that was fucking Chinatown's dumpling emergency from 2004, which I still am and not sure I'm over. And you still have a festival. Wow. Maybe we the festival, festival is yeah. to avert any future food poisoning, right? It's like to build up the gods spare me this yeah exactly oh it's like a sacrifice exactly yes yes, well it felt like that because we were trying in the midst of all of these you know horrible episodes of vomiting and diarrhea this week to keep this festival going (laughs) and it was just every night it's like are we really going to try this again and then we like no let's maybe take a night off so yeah it's been its own thing but that's you know for another time it's for another time um i'll give a quick update because we do have our guest waiting in the green room and i'm really excited for this episode which you know we did say in our last one we'd have uh an actual music teacher on and we managed to pull it off we did um so so i'm very excited for that so i mean briefly you know we let's see what's happened over the last few weeks we had we went to vermont for a few days which was a lot of fun another family kind of thing with my wife's sister and her kids and they have kids same age unfortunately um we had our first tick experience which i've not had before where um my sister-in-law was like you know luke has just this amazing head of hair right it's just he's got those sort of the mushroom and no so if you pass him, you can't not just like rub his head for good luck or whatever. Right. Um, and that's what Sarah had done. And in the process, she saw two ticks that were just fucking on his head and mammoth. I mean, like two. engorged two in the same Dos. spot. Dos equis, yes. Dos equis. So two, <laughs> two ticks. And it, it was clear that they had been there. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. this wasn't just like just happened. I've never seen ticks this large and absolute. They look like they came out of the alien series. How how, um, how big? I show you me a with your hands. Show me, show, show me the hands. Well, I mean, legitimately, they were only probably that big. But like for a t- it was a deer tick. Yeah. John, those are just, usually for those of you tiny. listening who don't realize this, John just held up both of his hands and did that whole like, you know, <laughs> I love you this much thing with a tick. So it looks like yes. the size of a house cat is what you're. it was larger at. than his head. 
Yes. Luke very patiently allowed my sister-in-law, who was great at this, you know, to, to remove them. with. She had tweezers in the car already. Like, it was, you know, she was Good on it. for her, yeah. Which was great, but we couldn't get it all out. It was a whole saga. Um, and then, of course, two days later, he gets a friggin' fever, right? No. So, So we're, like, immediately on a hyper alert, like, oh, he's clearly he's gotten a disease from the ticks. Um, which may or may not be the case, but we we gave him this like there's this single dose of antibiotic you give them. It's one dose and it just like kills anything apparently. And um, what's the antibiotic called? Doxycla doxy something or other. Doxycycline. Yeah, that's it. Thank you. I knew you would know. You always know shit like this. Oh yeah. Um, doxycycline. It's one dose. You actually can't give more than a dose to small children. It can fuck with their like enamel, their teeth enamel. Yeah, it makes them explode. Um, yeah, it makes their it teeth just start exploding. They just crack like, right Mommy, up. Mommy, what's wrong? <laughs> <laughs> so we had that experience. Uh, one other thing I wanted to share because we gotta we gotta share some positive thing before we transition this episode. Yeah, this has been a stressful intro. Um, yeah. I had a good, I had a kind of an awesome parenting moment the other day. All right, Did where you really? I, was, I was walking home with Grace, and she talked about she didn't have the greatest day at school. Um, obviously, she didn't have her music class because otherwise, she would have had an amazing day. Um, but she had PE, which is actually her least favorite class. Mm. And, you know, she's just not a PE kid. She's not like she's she has no future in sports. OK, let's right. be real. Um, and so we were walking home and she was saying how they did um, kickball and she didn't know how to play. And she she started crying. And, you know, the teacher was trying to help her. Of course, he's great. And he was trying to help her, you know, get comfortable with her or whatever. But she just didn't have a good day. And mm -hmm. she was already not looking forward to um the uh, Wednesday of that week, this was Monday when I was talking to her, she was already like just dreading Wednesday because they were going to do capture the flag and she does, oh, she's, no. she doesn't know how to play it. Stressful. And so we had an honest conversation and I'm like, you know what? I didn't really like PE as a kid either. I mean, as you both may not be able to tell, not the most athletic person here, even though you like Grace, I know the legend physique. about yeah. me, you know, goes in front <laughs> of the reality and you know, I'm talked of as being the athletic gifted person yes. in the family, but right. you know, uh, you might not realize this. Yeah. But I actually was not a star in PE. So well, you we had an now, honest conversation about then. it. And, and that was felt good. Like, it felt good for her to see that, you know, like, oh, okay, this is something that dad didn't like either. Like, yeah. You know. So that was good. And then I was like, you know what? We're going to practice playing Capture the Flag before you have it. We're going we're gonna to watch a video. We're going to, like, play in the house. And we just had this night. It was, like, out of a movie in terms of the, like, just the idyllic scene of, like, a family of four playing a game together do you know what i mean like oh we yeah just, was was there a montage with what do you yeah. build me up and then it ended with like a pillow fight you know what i mean yeah yes yeah, yeah. there right, are feathers yeah. slow motion right. everywhere so we were playing this we were playing capture the flag the four of us and like luke was having so much fun and the grace was loving it and you know so it was just in this small area and oh, it was so just sweet. going really well um, but of course like all parenting things even if it's even if you hit that sort of fantastical moment it ended with a glass knocking over and glass just shattering everywhere. And me, I can't help my immediate reaction when I see something like that. I'm like, Argh! like I just have this sort of like guttural, awful Who sound. Broke the glass? Yeah, and, and yeah. it immediately then Grace starts crying. Right, it's like exactly not how you want to react. Um, yeah, but I but I do. And so you know the whole thing just ended with with that. But <laughs> but it was still okay. We pulled it together. 
and she did capture the flag and she had so much fun at school that day and like it just felt like such a good such a win you know that's great so i wanted to share that because it's not often that i actually you know feel like i pulled something off uh, effectively as a parent so there you go. good for you <laughs> So, so good, good transition to doing things effectively as parents. Um, you know, we in our last episode talked about music, and obviously, Patrick and I have very different backgrounds. I think we're both passionate about music, but Patrick is an actual musician. I'm this new, new to guitar over the last year and really loving it. I've always been, of course, also you know very into listening to music. Um, so it's important to me that um, way more than sports, frankly, that my kids, you know, we can try to cultivate this, right? Contrary so, to your, uh, you know, the sporting prowess physique, that you've been yes, talking about. Right. Exactly. Right. Um, and so, you know, you and I talked a little bit. We Googled and basically looked at the first article on Google, which was not very good about how to how to teach your kids music. And so this is basically a redo where we have a, an actual professional. Um, I'm very excited personally because, you know, Adam is a teacher that Grace since kindergarten last year has raved about i mean like she always has had so much fun in his music class and i just i love hearing about it and i love the excitement that she has and so when i heard that he was doing piano lessons as well private piano lessons it was just such a great opportunity to have grace transition to do that at home and she's been really loving it and so we have adam on now today and he's going to talk to us and and i really i want to hear about adam's um, background you know how he got into um, being a music teacher, and then hopefully he can teach us some stuff. So, uh, without further ado, Adam Shoemate. I hope I'm saying your name you properly. You are Shoemate. I appreciate that. I got a lot of uh, Shumates when I was growing Shumates. up. That's actually one of the agreements I have with my students. If I say their name wrong, they're allowed to call me Shumate for the day. That's hilarious. Like, it's like a fair trade. Um, so yeah, I, I thank you to Patrick and John for having me on. John approached me about this, and I was really excited. I've never been on a podcast and. I feel uh, very grateful for, for them thinking of me. So thank you. Um, so yeah, I guess to start from the very beginning. Um, so yeah. I, I grew up um, outside of Boston, uh, Boston area. My father is a guitarist, professional guitarist. He taught at Berkeley College of Music for 40 years. Uh, he wow. retired last year. Um, and my mother has been teaching in East Boston public schools for Ooh, like I'm going on 30 years as well. So, so you've got um, teaching in your blood. I got clearly. teaching in and my music. blood. Absolutely. I have teaching and music in my blood. Absolutely. I have uh, probably an unorthodox uh, introduction into the teaching profession, I guess, in uh, public schools. Um, so I, from a very young age, I played piano starting when I was four. Um, my father told me there are too many guitar players in the world. Uh, <laughs> so I should play piano. I think he just didn't want me to steal his gig. Yeah. Honestly. That's clearly so what it is. That's, right? Yeah. That's what I think now, but just kidding. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> Yeah, but so I I, um, I started when I was four, and I was very fortunate to uh, have my father, who was obviously a professional musician and a jazz musician, um, uh, guiding me from a young age. And it got to a certain point where he he would admit that he could only do so much piano-wise, and it was time for me to start studying with um, other piano teachers. And I studied with some of his friends, um, fellow musicians and colleagues of his, um, both Berkeley teachers and just working musicians in the Boston area from a young age. Um, and then the elementary school age, I started going to the New England Conservatory prep program, the jazz program, um, which in was fantastic. School. Yeah, in elementary school. Um, and so I made it like fifth, sixth grade. And, yeah, yeah. Um, um, so I did that for, for a few years, did um, the Berkeley five-week summer programs when I was younger, um, got the, um, the opportunity to study with world-class musicians, world-class jazz and, mm. and musicians from all different genres and styles, which is, I was 
tremendously fortunate um, to have the opportunity. I went to um, a private school outside of uh, Boston um, in Concord, um, which was a really great opportunity for me as well. I got to sort of focus my my studies in music and, and also uh, pursue baseball, which was something I was into nice. at the time. And I still am so a fan of a, both. Yeah, I still both. am a fan of a, a good beer league softball game every once in a while. But uh, but my I, I've hung up the cleats otherwise. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so um, I went to uh, UCLA for my undergrad um, in the ethnomusicology department, which was really cool. I got to the uh, head of the department was Kenny Burrell, who's a world famous jazz guitarist and wow. it, was, it was really funny because my audition my dad came and played bass for me um and he i swear he was more nervous for the, most of them i was more nervous this was the one that he was more nervous for than me but uh it went, how cool is that it went, the rest is history and went great and uh so i was out in la for a little while and then because my father taught at berkeley after i i got my degree i, I re-enrolled in berkeley as an undergrad student with no intention really at that point of getting a, another undergrad degree but just I re-enrolled as what would have been a performance major so I had the opportunity of two more years um, studying with world-class musicians which was incredible and I was sort of working part-time after that and then I just saw one day walking by the bulletin board I saw a posting for cruise ship gigs and I was like oh, I don't really have anything else going on I'll give it a try <laughs> and uh, I auditioned and I got the gig and next thing I knew I was in Rome and Wow. Playing piano on a cruise ship in the Mediterranean, and we were going from Rome to the U.S. Uh, I met, met my wife. She's from the U.K. And, and, and you met her on the cruise? I, she worked on the ship. Yeah, we worked wow. uh, together on the ship. Yeah. So um, now we have two little boys, and then the rest is history. And uh, so I've been teaching in, in, uh, in the public school system for the past eight years. Um, after I got off the ship, I had one year of being a paraprofessional, which was an amazing experience. Um, I really... If I hadn't had that year, I, I don't know what I would have done because it was the kind of thing where I, I hadn't had my master's. Uh, I hadn't even started my master's at that point. Um, and um, I it was like a job posting on the last week of August, like three days or four days before school. Wow. So I just like sent off like I was sending like 70 resumes everywhere I could. And I sort of preparing myself for doing another year being a pair, which would have been great, would have been really uh, great experience, but I, the school district where I now teach uh, came calling, and it was kind of one of these interviews where they're like, hey, I, you know what? I get a good vibe from you. We're going to hire you. I was like, oh, great, yeah. Good vibes are good with me. Like, yeah. I don't mind. Yeah, and, and, you know, and eight years later, I think uh, I'm – I think any teacher who says they have it down to a science entirely might be uh, – it might be a bit of a reach, but right. I think I'm in much better footing now eight years into it, um, and uh, I love – I love working with the age group. I teach elementary school um, students, and I love working with that age group. This year is going to be my first year running the high school jazz band, which is very, uh, very exciting. Um, and that's something that's near and dear to my heart, too. So it's kind of the best of both worlds. And uh, it, I love the job because I, I view it as a very noble profession. I, I would never <laughs> say any names, but uh, I didn't have the greatest music teacher when I was growing up. Luckily, mm. I had my father's influence um, and my parents, my, my mother, while not being um, the greatest musician in the world, she would say <laughs> that herself. Um, she, uh, she appreciates and, and understands um, great music and she has a, she's a very developed ear. She can name a pianist probably faster than I can sometimes, which is because she's been around jazz so long. Um, but I had a very supported, uh, supportive um, family group um, sort of pushing me along the way. And sometimes, you know, when I was young, it was, 
a little begrudgingly being like, oh, I don't want to practice. I want to go play with my friends. I mean, yeah, because, like, what was that like? I mean, you had music with your dad, you know, at a very high level all the time. So, like, you could have, I feel like that could have went either way right off the bat. Like, you could have been one of those kids who was like, I don't want to do that, you know? So how did that play out? It's interesting because now I have two little boys and my uh, my oldest is almost three and our youngest is 17 months. So they're a little uh, before, like, piano lesson age and stuff like that. But it's obviously yeah. something we're going we're gonna to do and something I, I want. Uh, I, I really hope they're going to be passionate about them. We're sort of talking, my wife and I were talking about, like, well, what was that like having, you know, your dad as an influence, having a professional musician being the one, you know, um, sort of guiding you. And yeah, there absolutely were times when I was younger and I, I you know, I love sports. I love running around. I love, you know, getting into trouble with my buddies and doing all sorts of stuff. But he, he always reinforced priority. Oh, if you want to do that, it's fine. But practice first, practice first and do whatever you want, you know, well, with yeah. the reason, of course. Um, <laughs> but, um, but, and, you know, I think as I got more, uh, I, I developed more ability and could play more and could, especially in the world of jazz where, you know, it's such a, um, ex I mean, not to discount any other style of music, but the improvisational, you know, sort of nature of it and sort of expressive nature of it, you never really get, I mean, I never found myself getting bored playing jazz, different, you know, exploring jazz, listening, transcribing. Um, so I think the better I got, it was easier to go, okay, I really have something here. Mm. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's at this point, they got to a point where it's like, all right, you have like a, a gift, not to sound like, you know, like, oh, I have a gift, but yeah, you have a gift. And like, if you, you know, develop that, that, you know, you're using that gift the right way. And if you're neglecting that gift, then you're just, you know, what's the point? What, what, what was this all about? So I think, you know, it's always been, I, if I had half the, I, I always say this to my dad and, you know, in jest, but if I had half the practice ethic that he had, I would have like seven Grammys by now because he's like, <laughs> he, he's still, you know, he's retired and he's practicing like three, four hours a day every day. Wow. Does not, you know, and when he can't get his hands on a guitar, he's like, it really bothers, you know, and it does for me too with the piano, but like I can go a week and a half and go, okay, I, re I really need to get back to it now. <laughs> um, and he, he couldn't do, he like physically couldn't do that. Like, I mean, I get it. I, you know, I've only been playing for a year and like when I, we went on vacation to Vermont, I had to bring, like I brought an electric guitar oh, and yeah. amp with me. John's like <laughs> playing he, on paper towel rolls and stuff in the back. Yeah. Yeah. No, he'd be bringing the uh, guitar on the trip to Aruba and the, when we were young, but yeah. doing like, you know, oh, I have this theater thing when I get back. So I got to, you know, shed this while I'm, while we're on vacation a couple hours every day. So, you know, it was, it was great for me being around professional musicians and having a father who's a professional musician and seeing like whoa if you really are serious about this and you really you know put in the effort and the time you can make a living doing this um and you know it's it's funny going from the town from where i grew up and the i went to like a, a private school um like i said and just you know t sometimes telling people like you want to be a musician like oh yeah but like what, what do you really want to do like no, <laughs> like that's that's it that's what i want to do and that's what I'm going to do. And that, you know, even when I had college advisors in high school and they, you know, they're, they're well-intentioned and they weren't like, you of know, course, wasn't out of ill will or anything. But when I went to the list of schools, they're like, no, you know, there's, you, you can't, you know, my grades were fine, but they weren't like the level that they probably would be accepting at some of these schools. But, you know, I was going to go through the music program and they just had no real concept of, of what that meant. So, um, but 
once again, I had my, you know, my parents and my family, you know, like helping me out and they were, it was really, uh, I'm so grateful today looking back on it now. And I know that while there were times when I was like, you know, a kid sort of be begrudging the fact that I had to practice. I think when I, you know, it comes to my, my kids, I mean, I never, you know, I'm not going to force them to do something they hate, but I can already, t- like my, my son's they already are singing on pitch and they're already like loving music. That's so cool. My, my son loves to listen to James Brown. He says, we want to get down Jack. Now, every time we listen to we <laughs> turn on escapism parts one and two. Yeah. He's, we're listening to P funk. He's, he's jamming out. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, I'm, I'm really hope whether they're piano players or not, that's up to them, but uh, we'll, we'll start there and, yeah. Goes. Well, but. the parallels here between you and Patrick, I mean, because you both have been uh, musicians since a very young age, right? Patrick, you were five, was it, that you started singing? Uh, something like that. In terms of like regular, like choir singing, six. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, yeah, before that, when my parents were like, oh, like he, we need to do something with this kid that won't shut up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but pr- probably a similar age. You know, I, I want to say before we go further into this, that funk is the universal language for young kids. And that's something that both of our children, like P-Funk, it's funny you're mentioning Parliament, and uh, and James Brown, and like even Bruno Mars, like his funky stuff, like like our kids love anything with a backbeat to it. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. part of it is because it's something that's so infectious. When an adult listens to that music, you also, you just cannot not bop your head at the very yeah. least to it, right? Even if you're like in the middle of a meeting and it's just playing in the background, like it's literally impossible not to move to it. So I think that's something that'd be fun to unpack tonight, today a little bit is what it is about language with like, you know, repetitive percussion patterns and loops. I mean, it's also really loop based, right? It's very mm-hmm. jam based. It doesn't really go harmonically all over the place. It kind of stays within a mode a lot of the time. It has a very kind of groove pattern based thing to it. And there's something universal about that because you were talking about ethnomusicology, you know, earlier. That's something that is common across like most world cultures music, right? A lot of it is very much groove based and sort of it's about settling into a pattern of something and it becomes kind of the rhythm of that group of people who are just jamming out together. And it's funny that all of our kids seem to respond to that you know really well that and frozen i don't know what, yeah. what to do with frozen <laughs> oh yeah frozen's a big hit into the unknown that's uh my yeah. 17 month old he can't quite get uh well even the old guy but it, the old, for the oldest it's be unknown be unknown and for the little guy just ah! so it's but he's getting there though um, but could you imagine putting some horns with that i mean the kids would oh, lose their minds yeah. they would lose they, their minds they you know uh i think you know it's interesting what you said about you know patterns i mean every you know culture has you know traditions and dances and and things like that and you know it's when we, i was talking to my students talking about common time and four four time They're like oh well, it's common time it's, it's the most common time it's the most danceable of the times it's the most you know easy to groove to and that's sort of what you're saying that i i do i think funk and i mean i'm a big funk fan and i think uh that sort of just sort of energy that that style of music brings is really great for for my kids i mean it's great for me as a 34 year old but it's <laughs> I, I i the late great odb said wu-tang is for the children i i think that in my personal opinion p-funk is for the children <laughs> yeah um, maybe wu-tang's for like the young adults um, yeah yeah yeah. yeah like, <laughs> like, but yeah but i i also do i'm a big hip-hop fan i i grew up listening to hip-hop and sort of what you're you know that pocket that's that's sort of what makes right styles of music pocket and you know that that being able to settle into that that repetitive groove you know some people don't like it i think it's a player who can play with like the purest of pockets is that's that's the goal 
Oh yeah. For yeah. for every amazingly virtuosic jazz drummer, there's a million, you know, just four on the floor drummers mm-hmm. who hit the pocket really well, like, you know, and play in Led Zeppelin and go on to mm-hmm. change the world. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's that's totally yeah, a good point. Absolutely. And I do think that there's something there's something to this that is interesting that I'm curious. So as somebody who had a pretty similar progression to you, educationally speaking, you know, we went to the same conservatory system, for example, and, you know, went through a lot of those same programs, the, you know, preparatory stuff when we were younger. It was all, in, for me, as a non-jazz person, although I came to jazz later in life, and I'd love to talk to you about this offline because there's some, I, I'm sure we have some mutual contacts mm. in the greater Boston area and yeah. the jazz scene. But the jazz to me was something that I didn't really get serious about until I went to a conservatory. Before that, it was all about Western classical music, which even to this day is where the stuff that I write sort of sits, like in terms of the ways that it gets programmed. But it was always taught as like, you know, you, there's some rudiments you have to get down before you get past it, right? So like before I ever had any class and S- class on ethnomusicology or on world music, I was, you know, learning how to make sure I don't, you know, have parallel fifths and that I, that I, you know, obey certain rules of counterpoint and things like that, that are, you know, obviously every single kid who learns that goes, oh, now my music sounds like it's from 400 years ago. And the teacher's <laughs> response to that is always like, well, you know, you have to learn the building blocks and learn how to learn. But it feels, I think, probably kind of counterintuitive because most kids gravitate toward music that really is not Western classical white guy music just by nature. It's just like, mm. like my kids adore, I wrote a piece a while ago. You actually see the poster behind me. Um, <laughs> hang on. There it is. The, the, the red and yellow one gotcha. called, called Mabinte, which was with a, a West African drummer. We did the whole thing together. Symphonic piece with, with um, like an African drum corps. Oh, wow. And uh, and as part of that, you know, we had all these conversations about 12-8 as a time signature and how it's like so all over the place, especially in the music of West Africa. And so to prepare for it until I get more used to that sound, I was just playing West African drum music in our house like all the time. And the kids were just always obsessed with it. You know, they just loved it. They gravitated toward it. They always grooved to it. They would drum to it. They would play in three while it was going in four. They just, you know, like just innately flock to it. And it doesn't feel like the music that we're told we need to kind of get under our belts first. So I guess before mm. we get into this further, is that something you as a as, as an educator think about the types of music kids are exposed to first as being like, quote unquote, right or quote unquote, wrong? Is that something that ever like factors in? Yeah, well, I, I think that I think one of the quotes that I always tell my students from like day one is, uh, and I'm not sure if I'm saying this exactly the way the great Duke Ellington said, but essentially the, what he was saying is that if it sounds good, then it's good. And really, you know, who am I to, to discriminate against one genre of music? And I, I found it interesting as a jazz musician, um, there was always sort of vibe, like a little vibe between the jazz world and the classical world, and like, like a, you know, sticking your nose at, up at each other, like <laughs> constantly. And it, it was, it was so unfortunate because when, you know, and I mean, this is obviously an issue in greater society today, but if we spent, uh, more time looking for our similarities and trying to find those similarities and trying to find what we have shared in common and how we can, and you know, and even the, the interesting thing between the classical world and I found it interesting you were talking about parallel fifths. So I got, I started with jazz and then I moved my, my dad at some point was like, yeah, you don't have any classical theory. So we're, you're going to take a few years off and it's classical time. And I, like, I was like, no, I don't want to play classical. And you know, it, it was, it was tough to get into. Um, and then doing tonal harmony and like AP music theory. And then like when I did my master's, I had a crazy tonal harmony class and all like the, you know, uh, Roman numeral analysis and all, you know, uh, Neapolitan and like all this stuff. And we, we just, I was just talking about it with my dad and we just couldn't help remark. It's like, it's the same thing as in the jazz world, just different, you know, verbiage, different, you know, 
way of describing it. Um, and that's one of the tough things when kids come into Berkeley. Berkeley has like its sort of contemporary theory method of doing things, which is great. I think it, for for what a lot of the kids at Berkeley are trying to do, it's it's very applicable. Um, but it's different. You know, there are, there are differences between sort of the tonal, tonal harmony, uh, Western classical, you know, sort of. Uh, approach to it but this really we're saying the same thing which is a different way of saying it so uh, in terms of answering am i listening to what my kids are listening to i think it's you know especially the age group that i teach um but any music teacher you know in you know elementary middle school high school level if you're not taking into account what your kids are listening to then you're you're really doing a disservice <laughs> not only to your kids but to yourself as a teacher because you need to know how to reach your kids um and, you know, I, I consider myself fortunate because I think sort of my background musically, while jazz was sort of uh, home base and, and will always be home base for what I come back to, I, I listen to hip hop, I listen to funk, I listen to country, I listen to rock, I listen to metal, I listen to, you know, everything. I tried to listen, I listened to classical, I listened, when I was out in uh, LA, I got linked up with a, a Latin jazz band, which was like, a surreal experience because I, I went in there thinking like, Oh, I'm like, you know, hot stuff, like, you know, college recruit piano player. And the first day there was a kid who was, he had to be like 14 or 15 and he was from LA. Um, and I was like, who, who they got this kid in here. And he played the style like impeccably. And I got up there and I sounded like a, you know, a poser trying to fake to play the style. And I just like, I had to sit and watch and learn and, you know, eat humble pie watching this, this 14 year old, <laughs> you know, kill it and play great and play the style. Fantastic. And I think, yeah, any teacher who's not taking into account what their, their students are interested in is not doing it right. I do also think that, you know, as an elementary school teacher, I have the, the position and the ability to give them a lot of music that I grew up listening to or, or music that I think is really important and could expand their sort of their perception of, of what we're trying to do musically in the classroom. And so I think, finding that balance between, okay, how can we use what they're listening to and make those connections and how can I bring in new stuff or stuff that I think is, is really worthwhile for what we're trying to do at this particular moment. Um, and I, I think just being flexible, I think when I first started teaching, my first bunch of years, like they, like your new teacher meetings are like, all right, you got a like agenda, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, all right, it has to be the T. And if it wasn't like exactly the way it was, I kind of felt like a you know new teacher failure, like I was gonna go mm. in like to the new teacher meeting. They're like, shame, Mr. Shoemate, because <laughs> he, he would like spend seven minutes instead of three. Um, and now, like, if kids bring up something like I think is worthwhile, like we might just spend twenty five minutes working on it. Like, I, it doesn't really matter to me. If if I think it's gonna take us in a direction that's gonna help us grow as a class, I'm fine with it going that way. Um, <laughs> you have to be careful because if if you let fourth and fifth graders always choose the path. <laughs> Right. Uh, and more so even second, third, first, kindergarten, it, it, it's a very slippery slope. But uh, finding that balance, I think eight years into it, I have a better idea of what that balance is. And I think maybe by year 33, I might be like, all right, I got it. So <laughs> I feel I feel so I have to say with having a couple of nephews who are, you know, they're just entering middle school or upper elementary. So they have their own musical tastes. And I feel so out of touch <laughs> with music that is um, popular now. You know, but your remark earlier about about um, this sort of you know division between jazz and classical reminded me of a recent interview I heard um, by this New Yorker writer Kelifa Sana. I'm, pro- I'm sure I'm saying his name wrong, um, but he wrote a book recently called Major Labels: A History of Popular Music in Seven Genres, and he talks about how 
the idea, the concept of a genre is is mostly artificial. The, and really what it comes down to is the sort of tribes that are associated with each. And I'm sort of paraphrasing him. But, you know, the, the divisions between people are more about these sort of tribes that come together, right? So you've, you've got, like, the rock in particular that is a big tribe, the rock tribe, you know, the people who think rock is basically what all music should strive towards. Um, and, and I guess if I had to say I was in one of them, it would be probably that. And I don't actually believe that that's true. But it's interesting to me that... Um, we sort of put ourselves in these in these genres ourselves and identify with a particular type of music as much because other people are part of that as we are because of the music itself, I think. And I see that playing out even more so with kids, right? Like naturally they gravitate and are very sort of tribal in, in nature as I guess all humans are. So I don't know where I'm going with that, but I can imagine that's an interesting thing to see play out in, in the school system. Well, it's interesting sometimes like just... If nothing else, just to, oh, you, oh, I think my son might be crying up there, but um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, he might might have to deal with some crying. Just put on some people. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's it. Um, it's sometimes just like I, I remember I did this like three or four years ago, just like to make myself laugh, and I think it actually was like a really worthwhile lesson for the kids. I said, "All right, we're gonna do a song from 300 years ago." I forget exactly what the song. I think it was like in the Hall of the Mountain King or something. Or 400, you know, whenever. I said, and they're like, oh, Mr. Shoe, we don't want to do a song from like, what? and I was like, all right, well, give it a chance. And we turned it on and loved it. We had this, this video that was sort of showing, it was uh, like a line rider video. So it was like this little character that was sort of. Those are huge. Yeah. They're, they're those really blew cool. up. Yeah. yeah. You know what he's talking about, cool. John? You know those things? It's no like those, they're animations of like a little dude, like riding on shapes and they go with the music and it, he's oh, on like a motorcycle. Cool. Yeah. And, back, and I've not but, seen yeah. them. Huh? And it's really, I mean, it's really interesting, you know, in the idea of, you know, teaching the students about, you know, building melody and the shape of melody and sort of just dynamic, you know, value and, and all the sort of, and especially that song in particular, because that song, that's what that song is about. It's just this giant buildup from beginning to end mm. and you know the, the, how it's layering different instruments and using different sections of the orchestra and it's, it's really and then you know we've talked about okay this song is like early hip-hop right because that's that's it like a uh, quality and it, you know hip-hop obviously has changed uh, as years progress but like the idea of like a strong beat you don't need to have a million different things happening it's just how you use them it's it's i'm uh, bringing things in and out in and out i'm bringing in you know this synth synth uh, sound in i'm taking this synth sound out i'm bringing uh the 808s in i'm taking the 808s out i'm bringing i'm i'm changing my bass sound now i'm using this bass sound and i'm dropping the octave here and like all those slight changes are what fills out the song you know you don't need to necessarily have someone taking a like a, a shredding solo or playing like the most intense harmonic um, you know, accompaniment, it can just be as, as profound and as simple as just bringing in a, a layer and, and taking out that layer. And I think that song is kind of a, a nice, uh, and also it, it's in Trolls. So the kids are like, oh, <laughs> hey, it's in Trolls. I'm like, all right, sweet. There you go. That's Another, what really did that, it. Yeah. Check it out. Win for Mr. Shoe on that one, you know? So <laughs> there you go. That's um, John, do you know, do you know what an 808 is? I have no idea what that is. It's a digital synth that in the 80s came to define the sound of a lot of hip hop, but also like a lot of synth dance music because ah. it's, a, it's a pretty middling synth. But the kick drum sound is like super bassy and punchy at the same time. And it's a sound that people still try to replicate and can't do. So you have these like random mid 80s digital rolling synthesizers going for like hundreds and thousands of dollars just for people hitting like the lower three notes on it. I mean, because it's the kick drum. Listen, I get it now because I'm like I've gone down the rabbit hole of guitar pedals since even since we oh. last talked, yeah, you Patrick. know what it's like, right? Um, 
Yeah. In fact, there's one in particular that's uh, over in, in Connecticut, this analog man uh, company. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it's like become this like very, there's a three year waiting list to get a guitar. Yeah, I got a lot of Instagram ads for this <laughs> shit. Yeah. So, um, so I get it and it is amazing. You know, what's amazing to me is how it's like anything else. So it shouldn't be that sort of, um, you know, it's not that profound of an idea, but once you get into something like this, it just opens up a world that was always there, but it was invisible to you, right? And I'm sure this is true of a sport or any kind of hobby that you really get into where you, you, you start to develop, in this case, an ear to distinguish different sounds, right? The idea of guitar tone or any instrument um, and being able to distinguish, you know, I think, Adam, you mentioned, you know, that your mom could pick out the pianist by listening to it, which is just like amazing to me that someone could have developed that ability. But I think it goes, there's something there in terms of like, what we're really trying to cultivate in our kids, which isn't necessarily that they are incredible musicians, which, you know, that'd be awesome. Um, but the idea that they find something that resonates with them and that they they actually want to sort of practice and, and become expert in it in a way that, you know, isn't about skill level. It's about passion and intensity and like developing these, you know, probably what end up being really good sort of um, connections in their brain that help them in many ways that we don't even understand fully <laughs> yeah and it's true it's interesting <clears throat> you know i the, you get asked that question uh, as a music teacher like do you teach with the you know assumption that every kid's going to be like the principal violinist uh in the bso or do you <laughs> teach with the assumption that like oh that you know somewhere with a far lesser expectations and i think the reality is you know somewhere it's not you know one or the other it's it's somewhere more in the middle and more of a case by case basis. Like, yeah, if I see a student who has, you know, and I have, you know, seen students who you see the talent, you go, Oh my gosh, like when this kid is 18, when the kid's 25, world-class, right? That must be so um, cool. Yeah. Which is incredible. Yeah. And I think uh, my, one of my first few years we had a kid who was a particularly like incredible pianist and I'm looking forward to see what they do in the future. But it was surreal, and luckily the kid is is the nicest kid, one of the nicest kids and <laughs> the sweetest kids students I've ever had, um, from amazing family. But it was it, it was kind of like I have to be honest, it was like a little intimidating. I'm like, oh, I'm supposed to like go in there like I was like this hotshot music teacher and show how great I am. I got this fifth grader who's like killing it right now. Like, That's oh man, so I need cool. to go. I better go like start hitting my scales and all this stuff. But no, it was <laughs> it's a good problem. And I say I'm joking because it like it was it was incredible to see and it was amazing to see that student grow and to continue, um, to be in that position. But, um, yeah, you know, I think that, yeah. Do I hope all my students have the ability to, to thank me in a Grammy speech? A hundred percent. I, you know, <laughs> will always say that to them jokingly. And then also like, seriously, like you guys better thank me. Like, but, <laughs> like uh, it's not shoe mate. Yeah. Remember right. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. If, yeah. You, if you're going to mess it up to say shoe, just, and just fucking go from there, yeah. say it right. That bearded guy from music in, yeah. in elementary <laughs> school. Yeah. But, um, but, you know, if at the end of the day, I want all my students to have an appreciation for what it takes to be a musician, whether mm. or not said student is goes on to pursue music, you know, at the a collegiate level or professional level or has like world class success or if they're just someone who, who likes to go concerts. Like I know so many people like my buddies who are not, you know, maybe took piano lessons when they were kids and stopped or whatever, but they're still like, you know, love listening to music and big fans of bands whenever they can, you know, pre-COVID anytime, you know, a band comes to town, they're going and, you know, trying to play guitar and try to sing and, 
And, you know, and that's, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, the idea that someone can just appreciate music and understand Mm. that, okay, this is the discipline that, yeah, it's fun. Yeah. It's expressive. Yeah. It's a, it's an amazing thing to be able to do, but it requires discipline. It requires practice ethic. It requires patience. It requires, you know, you know, uh, one thing I had to learn, which was tough is you go from being a big fish in a small pond. You know, when I was at high school, I was, Oh, I'm, the jazz piano guy like oh the, then you get to college and like whoa like i'm not the only jazz and ucla while it was a good program it was still relatively small and even when i got back to berkeley i walked through the piano <laughs> practice room the first day and i was like oh my god like i i need to like live here for the next year if i want to sound anything like the you know the what i'm hearing in these rooms and you know finding you have to be kind to yourself like mm. we you know finding being content in your own playing. I think that was a challenge for me is like putting that pressure. I need to be better than that. And I also had like, I love sports. So I was had that sort of competitive sort of mindset. Like I gotta be better. I gotta strike them out. I gotta hit that home run. And it's not really, it's not important. It's, it's finding who you are as a musician and, and what makes you happy. And and in the world of jazz, because it's so, like I said, improvisational, it's, it's, it's really nice that, you know, you don't have to, you can have your influences, but at the end of the day, when you start to find yourself as a player and who you are and what you, makes you you, that's when you find like true happiness in your, in your mm. time. I um, mean, I think that's one of the great opportunities with teaching is or or having kids, you know, learn an instrument or really any kind of hobby or, or a sport or whatever is that um, there's always people who are way better than you. Yeah, you know, and there's there's the aspect of that where it's a challenge to you, especially, you know, in the case of you and Patrick, you've got this professional music experience. And so the ego plays a role. We talked about this in our last episode, Patrick, you know, I can go in and play guitar. I have zero ego and I'm not great at it. Right. Like I don't, I don't know if I ever will be. So it's kind of easy in that sense. Whereas when you develop the skills, you know, it becomes like, actually you start probably ranking yourself or not, you know, actively, but you know what I mean? Um, But I think there's an aspect of it where, it's it's healthy for us all to see that there are people who are way better than us at stuff, right? Like that's, I, I want my kids to know that and, and not obviously look down at themselves for it, but like, you know, that's what it takes. You got to have to practice a lot more to, to get to that level. Um, so I guess what I want to make sure we cover here too is like as parents, you know, if everything we're saying here is about the value of teaching this stuff, from your observations so far, like what, and now as a, as a music teacher, like how are you going to approach this as a parent, as your kids grow a little, you know, a little older, um, what do you think your approach will be to introducing music and to encouraging it without, you know, overdoing it in a way that would maybe push them away? Yeah. It's interesting because I mean, like I alluded to earlier, my wife and I are are having these conversations. She said to me, like, are you going to make them practice 15 minutes every day? And I was like, I, you know, it's one of those things where your husband are like, do, do you want me to make them practice 15 <laughs> minutes every day? And she was like, kind of, I think that'd be yeah. good. Cause yeah. it's like, you know, it's a, you know, it's a positive thing. They're they're It's developing whether or not they, you know, follow my footsteps. Like I, you know, there's certainly no harm and only benefit to be gained from, from learning an instrument and starting to develop, you know, musical ability and all this stuff. And I, you know, lucky for them, uh, at, they have a, a family who's going to support them if music is something that they're interested and passionate about. And I, I think I see, I mean, you know, I'm obviously I'm biased as a parent, but I think I see talent at this point, even at a young age. And I think that they're always going to have that, ooh, the they're always going to have that <laughs> support from, you know, like I did. My, my dad said, yeah, if you want to be a musician, yeah, man, go for it. But you're going to have to like 
haul ass if you want to do it because there's a million bajillion players out there. And like you said, there's always going to be not just one, but 50, 100, thousands who are better than you. And that's okay. You just have to, there are other intangibles that, you know, you develop as a player. Um, and this is a little bit of a side note. You know, I, I, I play like one of my side gigs, I play wedding bands and stuff like that. And, you know, one of the, the bosses who like, I'm very fortunate. They're super nice guys. So like, but we use that term boss loosely, just the fact that they pay us, but they're like the nicest guys <laughs> on the face of the planet. Um, they, I think they would say they'd rather have a guy, you know, if a guy be an A minus player and be like super reliable and on time. Oh, yeah. Always count on this cat and he always has the music learned. And if there's, you know, someone else, you know, request that they feel he knows, like all that stuff, then an A plus player who is, you know, 45 minutes late and half in the bag when he shows up and like, you know, like that totally. kind of thing. You want to have someone, you know, you can rely on. Um, I forget how I got to here, um, <laughs> but but a, anyway, a, as a parent though, I'm 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 thinking I'm gonna be you know pushing like my dad did. I think you know while I made my it was never like you have to practice like kind of like you know I don't know uh, helicopter parent or like I don't know what right that right yeah but it was never like that. But it was like hey like you got something here like and you owe it to yourself to to cultivate this and if you don't you're going to be mad at yourself when you're older. And frankly, like this is, I'm your parent and you're, you're going to do this for a little bit. And you know, I'm sure I, I know my parents are the nicest people on earth. If I went to them and was like, I can't take piano anymore. I, I, you know, I can't do this. They wouldn't have forced me to, to play, but right. I think, I, I think I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to push my kids to, to at least build that practice ethic. Cause once the practice ethic comes and the routine comes, then all of the positives come. You know, it, it takes the work first to see the, the development. That makes a ton of sense. I mean, even with Grace, you know, after the first few lessons, there was that, like, initial phase where you're excited to learn something new. You don't know what you don't know, right, kind of thing. And then there's that phase where it's like, oh, this is something I have to actually work at, right, and and I'm not good at. And so early after, like, a couple of classes, Grace was already like, oh, do I have to do this again? You know, like, it's classic, right, behavior oh, from yeah, learning anything. absolutely. And then... Once she can start to play stuff, she's still like getting there, right? She doesn't always like want to do it, but by the end of each lesson, she's she feels better and more confident. But it is this hard thing where, you know, you have to with anything with kids, you have to decide where that line is, how hard you push, right? And for how long. You know, cuz like Bethany, my wife had this experience as a kid of being forced to do piano, and in the moment, she hated it. You know, cuz she didn't like the teacher and like she didn't want to keep going, but her her parents made her. They're very musical. And now she's so happy she did. And so I guess I wonder for you both as music as musicians, um, how are you going to react if your kids either you see that there maybe isn't that talent there, that obvious talent or or interest? Like, where's that line? How do you know when it's it's like, all right, let them find something else? Uh, well, I mean, I think something I always describe to myself, I think just being a musician in general is like, you can envision it, envision it as, you know, just a con a lifelong journey of steps, right? Like you plateau, you get better and oh, you're feeling really great. And you're, you're riding this high of, Oh, I got this ability. I can do this stuff now. And oh wait, now it gets harder. Oh man, this mm. is really tough. And then it's con and it's going to be that for your, the rest of your life, you know? And then, you know, adding other elements like, Oh, have I been practicing my like desired amount for this amount of time or have, you know, what am I working on currently? But, um, yeah, and I think it's like, you know, the, 
if you live in New York, right, you got to like accept, all right, I, this is my lifestyle. I'm living in New York City. Like this is like, there's going to be sirens blasting all day long. <laughs> if you're going to be a musician, like you have to accept, like there are going to be things that you make a million trillion mistakes on and things that like get you down and frustrate you. And that's just like, and it's harder for, because you can say that to a six, seven year old, like, oh, okay, yeah. And like, that, you know, that, that it doesn't really <laughs> register. You can say that to an adult and they go, okay, like if I'm going to do it, like I have to, like, I, I can accept. And even for adults, I mean, that's easier said than done, right? Like it's frustrating. Um, I think actually maybe it's, sometimes it's harder for adults too, because they know oh, yeah. what it's supposed to sound like. And it like, it almost like frustrates more, but I think, it is tough, and that's when a lot of you see, you know, as a music a piano teacher outside, I mean, my students in school, I'm a general music teacher, so they're always going to come to me for music, which is another reason why I take it so seriously, because I say, okay, if, uh, if these students, you know, I see ex you know this many students um, piano-wise, I see all these students for general music, so this is my real chance to, like, reach the, the masses as a music teacher. Um, but I, I just feel like if the students, if they're building an ability to, to practice and they're going to see that improvement. And that's the hard part. That's when I start to see students dropping from my lessons when they're like, ah, oh, they just, they couldn't deal with, you know, not sounding great, which is tough. I know. And that's, I think any good musician, great musician, any professional musician is like that person is like the greatest at like dealing with like failure because mm. they've had a lifetime of, of those failures and building on that and dealing with those and improving and, and, you know, refining what needed work and to get to that point. And no one who got to that point, you know, the, there's like the rare, like 0.001% who are just like, Oh, everything made sense to, sense to them. You know, it's just, I don't know how they do it, they, but they do it for the rest of us. We had to work a whole lot and make a lot of mistakes and, and be frustrated and, you know, pick ourselves back up and do it again to get to that point. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. What do you think, Patrick? Well, it's, it's tough to express all this. I, I'm glad that you're saying that, Adam, to, to kids because, you know, I look back now as the 36-year-old and I'm thinking about how my relationship with music has changed so much depending on where it fit in my life at any given time, right? How like at the beginning for me, it was very therapeutic because I was having a very hard time sitting still in school. But the second I was at a piano, I could sit still until two in the morning and it didn't even matter. So it was a great kind of release for me, right? And then it was similar to what Adam was saying. Like I was during the the phase where I was a big fish in a small pond, it was like an incredible ego boost for me at a time where I really needed that, where I was like the music guy, you know, I was the singer, I was the performer, I was the composer, I was doing all this stuff. And I felt like really special because of that. And then of course you go on and you're no longer the special person anymore. And you have to deal again with this idea of like an adaptive humility experience and learning what it's like to not be the best at this and how it's really important to realize that that's a good thing because it means that you don't have to be the best at at it you can be yourself at it right mm -hmm. and that it says you get to have this really wonderful subjective relationship with music as it fits in your life as something you have expressively within you which is another really beautiful place to be right and then also at different points in my life it's been a, a you know continuous source of income for us which has been great it's been how we've made you know a living and it's also been what has been most terrifying to me for the most part outside of things with kids like you know the idea of what if i don't make it what if i don't get this commission that i want what if this organization 
doesn't fall through in its promise and it falls apart and I'm never going to get asked to write anything again and nobody's going to listen to me and nobody's going to go to my website and what a blah, 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 blah. So it's a, it's a, it's, there's a lot of this isn't even about the music itself. It's about what the music says about us and about how we interpret that and use that, you know? And I think that's something that you can't express that to a kid because it's so abstract. It makes no sense. But when I try to teach the kids that that's something that I'm thinking of is that, is that this is such a big thing that allows you to adapt as you go through life and find new ways to use it to enforce who you are and who you want to be. But in addition to that, I think uh, there's this whole other level that, you know, Adam was talking about it before, about when you're young and you're first starting out with the stuff and you're getting the rudiments down, usually scales, in my experience, is where it starts to break down because it's just so rote. And it's like, you have to remember to cross your finger over here. Or you're going to run out of fingers. So let's do this for an hour and a half and just do <laughs> one key of scales. And it doesn't sound good. You know, you have to put the quiet pedal on because, you know, everybody else in the household <laughs> is going to complain about it because it's just rote learning. It's mechanical learning for your fingers, right? So it, for my kids, those are moments where, and, and again, uh, like as, uh, as you know, we've said, like I, I've, I've introduced our kids to music. You know, Jude was going to choir practice. He had one choir practice and then COVID happened. So that never happened again. Aww. But that was my route into music was Anglican choral traditions and, you know, all of the music theory that went along with that when I was very, very young. So I was like, that maybe this is a good way to get them like a framework in place for learning about, about music and seeing if it really fits into what they want to do. And my kids both have really good ears and they sing and they love playing with synths up here and they love playing with hand percussion. I was like, this could be really good. So that really derailed it, right? Because music is so communal and they haven't been able to make it in concert with other kids for a long time, other than in these kind of strange adapted environments during COVID at school. So, uh, so anyway, so at home, we've been trying to work on some stuff regardless. And one of the things that just seems just endlessly boring for them is this idea that we have to, you know, train our fingers to play a certain way so that we can be better at it. Because to them, if they can just play the Harry Potter theme song, right, yeah. or if they can yeah. play the Captain <laughs> Underpants soundtrack, that's enough, right? So something that I, I'm trying to navigate now is how to be like patient and and kind with that. And that's something, honestly, Adam, that I struggle, I just struggle with. And I don't know what it is with everything else in my kids' lives. I am like the most laid back dad. I am like, so I just like am completely at ease with them, not enjoying something and not loving it and being like, it doesn't matter. You tried, let's go get ice cream. But with music, <laughs> I, I, at some point, and this, you know, going back to something I was saying a minute ago, I think is about how music speaks to me now in my life is I need to learn how to be humble again about it because it's entirely possible that my kids just don't love it the way that I do. Or if they don't love it the way that I do, maybe they just haven't discovered that mm. yet, you mm. know? So it's, it's, again, music says a lot about who we are and who we are as people. And, you know, part of who we are as people is who we are as parents. And I think right now, something that I'm trying to navigate with them is how to make music feel fun for them in a way that doesn't, it, it's not dad's thing. It's, it's just something that everybody has access to. But I'm honestly, I'm still struggling with that. And, you know, would love help. <laughs> well, I, I think one of the beauties of, you know, being a music teacher, I mean, going back to sort of opening day questions I have, like on the first few days, I said, like, all right, raise your hand if you've ever listened to music. And everyone's like, yeah, of course. And that's the thing, music's everywhere, you know, and at the end of the day, I want, you know, my students to learn this, this, and this over the course of the year. But you know, going back to really drawing influence from what they're listening to, these, the kids are listening to music on a daily, hourly basis. They just might not be the music I listen to, and that's, that's okay. And I think it was interesting as a teacher, my, you know, I, I grew up in a house where my dad is a music snob, and God love him, he, he, he says it, and I am a music snob now too. 
Um, but when I was like a kid and I had like Limp Biscuit CDs, he would just be like, <laughs> dude, like you're going to hate yourself for having this when you're, when you're an adult. And you know, there's some that were, I like look back and I go, Oh man, like that was pretty brutal. And there are some, I go, no, that band's great. And I still listen to that band to this day. Um, and I think I had a hard time coming to that sort of just ignoring my, what my, you know, professional musician perspective on a song is for the benefit of the students. Like if they come in to me with some song that they heard on TikTok, the chicken nugget song or whatever. Like, <laughs> you know, our kids it, love that. And the yeah. gummy bear song and gummy marshmallow. Bear. Is marshmallow huge in your school district? Oh God. What uh, is up with that oh, shit? Mar- oh, marshmallow, the dude who wears the, the DJ. Yeah, with the yeah, mask. Yeah. yeah. Our kids are like, they know all of marshmallow's songs. I'm like, oh, yeah. how? That cat is, he's, he's raking he's it huge. in right now, man. Um, yeah. But, you know, I, I think, you know, it, there is a, a fine line between going, okay, like, all right, guys, like, really, this is what we're listening to. And then, uh, like, sometimes they come up with, like, meme songs. I'm like, no, we're not. We're, today's not a meme song day. <laughs> if you have a song by an artist you want to listen to and I can vet it and make sure that it's not going to, like, get me fired, yeah, we can check it out. But, like, you know, I, I want the kids to be bringing in the music they listen to. I want them to be asking me about the music that I listen to. I want to have that conversation. Um, I always try to like I, I try to mess with the, the students. I'll say like, "Oh, you guys watching those Tic Tac videos?" And I'll start like saying all the names wrong. Be like, "Oh, I listen to the Billy eyelashes and stuff like that." And just like, just you know, just obviously just like messing with them. But like, I just want them to know that like I'm aware of of what their their influences are because, you know, when I was a kid and I was listening to music, I would always say like, "Oh, this music's gonna be really important." Yeah. Not all of it was, but some of it today stands and it's really important music and it stands the test of time. And I think um, knowing that the students are, some of the music they're listening to today is 30 years from now is going to be looked upon in that same way. It's just having, and even if it's not, it's not really important whether I love it or not. It's mm-hmm. important that the kids are valuing their music and valuing music in general and knowing that I value and can see merit in what they're doing musically and, and appreciate that. Whether or not it's my favorite music or i'm gonna go home and play it i need to give it the respect that it's due so humility yeah yeah totally well i mean this was so helpful for me to you know i think some of my takeaways here are really just the idea that it's an opportunity i think music in particular because i mean we all have some relationship with music at some level and it would expect our kids to that it's an opportunity to just like introduce our kids to that process of making it you know and it is like all of parenting this adaptive thing where we've got to We've got to push on our kids to some extent to at least practice and try something, whatever instrument that might be or, or whatever form of music. You know, it seems like a worthwhile investment and uh, it's a journey and we'll see where it goes. But I mean, I really appreciate the work that you're doing, Adam, and the work that, you know, music teachers all over are doing. I think um, it is so important and probably an undervalued thing in our society. There are different school systems at different times that have even considered cutting arts, you know, and it just it kind of blows my mind um, that it's not held at a, at, at a more sort of valuable place because we know that there are so many um, just benefits for our kids. So I hope that uh, we can carry it forward. And I guess any, any final advice you'd have for parents, you know, this is your opportunity to share it as a music teacher. What would you like parents to do <laughs> uh, for their kids to help you as a music teacher? I think parents just at the end of the day just support your students i think music is such 
music can be a vehicle for so many different things. Yes, we all, you know, as a music teacher, like I said, I hope all my students are world famous, world class musicians. And I'd be thrilled if, if that were, you know, if every student coming through those doors did was, but just acknowledging music's um, merit as, as its place in society. And I, I think, you know, like you said, being a music teacher isn't always uh, the most, um, uh, not, you, certainly not a celebrity status um, in, in, in the world of a, a public school system, but it's, it's something that I think I, I'm very thankful that I'm in the position that I'm in. And I think uh, parents just need to know that they're for, for their students, if their students are interested in, in pursuing a, a career and a life in music, there is a path to do that. Mm-hmm. It, it's not, you know, always the most glorious. It's not, you know, all red carpets and Grammy award shows. It's, but it's it's a, a something that I I can't tell you I'm I'm the most thankful person on the face of the planet because I get to do something that I love every single day and you know while I may be playing like Mary had a little lamb might not be like my favorite song to play <laughs> in the whole wide world I'm getting to use music on my day to day and I I cannot tell you how grateful I am for that for the opportunity and I I, I look back on all my life choices and I go I made the right choice because I'm happy. And I can go home and, and at the end of the day, I can play piano and and still find the same joy in it as I did when I was four years old. So I'm, I'm very thrilled and very content with that. That's and awesome. Now, yeah. I got to say, go. throw some horns and a backbeat on Mary Had a Little Ham and you got yeah, yourself a hit. There we go. I'll, I'll get on. Maybe that you guys need like a new like theme song for the, for the podcast. <laughs> or just, just Stevie Wonder singing that Overdriven right guitar. You know, Mary Had a Little Lamb with 808s and all sorts of, yeah. <laughs> some puzz. Some yeah, puzz. there you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pleasure meeting you, man. I know we got to uh, run. Likewise. Thank you so much for, for having me. On. I really appreciate Thank it. You. Thank you. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye.